You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Good morning. How are we? That good, huh? That's awesome. I'm glad. My name is Justin. I am the church planting resident here. And what that means is that uh, I'm here uh, for just about a year and a half from now. um, And we will uh, go and plant a church somewhere else in uh, a college town. And we're kind of narrowing in on that location. And we're going to be announcing that to you guys at at some point coming soon. But um, uh, this is just a little bit about me. If we haven't gotten a chance to meet, I would love to meet you if we haven't gotten a chance uh, to meet. I'm around and and I want to get to know you. My wife and I, my family want to get to know you. Um, But today we are in uh, Nehemiah. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah 8. And and today we're going to talk about something that um, is, is gonna conjure up different feelings, different emotions, different memories for different people. Um, uh, we're gonna talk about revival. This is a word that uh, is kind of really only used in church circles, I think, um, or unless you, maybe you're an EMT and you like revive somebody. Um, I don't know if they use that word or not, but uh, you, you, it's kind of a, a religious word and a lot of us have um, different kind of connections that we make with this word. If you're like me and you grew up in rural Arkansas uh, at old country churches my whole life, revival is is something that your church did um, every summer that was like church on Sunday, but like every day of the week and in the evening and outside for whatever reason, even though it was July in some tent and we would baptize people in a river because it's Arkansas and we would, we would do all of these things and, and it was great. It was awesome. The preacher would preach for like an hour and a half instead of the regular 25 minutes, you know, for Jesus and stuff. But like you, it was, it was cool, right? Uh, we would always have a fish fry afterwards, which is amazing. I, I miss those days. Uh, for some of you, you might've grown up like that. For, for others, of you, maybe you have no experience with revival, but you think maybe like, oh, brother, where art thou? Like the movie in that scene when they stumble upon this group of people in white robes going down to the river and they're like, going down to the river to pray, you know, studying about that good old way. Okay. I can sing that whole song for you. I love that movie, but uh, it's a revival. Right, and, and, and it's kind of a religious word, and maybe um, for most of us, a religious event, um, but that's not actually how we're gonna talk about it um, today. There is an event that we're gonna talk about, but what we're talking about is actual, the literal word for revival, to be revived, to go from death to life. And we're gonna watch in the story of Nehemiah and the overall story of God's people, um, uh, the the Jews in the Old Testament um, uh, of their kind of renewal, of their revival, of their going from um, lost and exile to their return to the land and being revived, being restored to who God um, established them um, to be and and watching some of the promises that God gave them um, being fulfilled um, in their um, life. so we're going we're gonna to talk about that and we're going to look at that story in Nehemiah and we're going to ask the question, how is it that we spark a revival? How do you spark revival? And I'll just go ahead and give you a, just a little bit of a hint. Um, it's a trick question. 
Okay, so, so here's the question, how, how to spark revival? So let's, let's kind of set up, make sure we're all on the same page. Let's set up Nehemiah's um, story here. So um, if you've been reading along with us in our Bible reading plan, then you know, and if you haven't, this is a great time uh, to start. We're about to get into the uh, New Testament here in the next couple of weeks. And so it's a great time to, um, to jump in. Uh, but you, uh, if you've been reading through Nehemiah, um, then you know that where, where we have been has been in exile that God's people, people, the Israelites, um, uh, where the kingdoms were split into Israel and to Judah and, and Israel has been dispersed. We don't really hear about them uh, anymore, um, but the kingdom of Judah was taken to Babylon and was in exile. And these are books like Esther and, and, and Daniel and stuff kind of recount uh, uh, the, the story of them outside of the land of um, Judah that God had promised them. But now they have been returned to their land, at least some of them, at least... Uh, a good portion of them have been returned back to the land that God had promised them, um, like God promised he would do, that he would return them to the land. And at this point in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is this kind of leader who has emerged out of the people and he is, he is, uh, felt this special call, if you will, uh, to go and rebuild Jerusalem. So they've rebuilt the temple, they've rebuilt um, the city, and the last thing to do, and this is what Nehemiah is famous for, is, is rebuilding the wall. In the, in the ancient world, if your city didn't have a wall, it wasn't going to survive for very long, and your religious ceremonies, your commerce, all that stuff wasn't going to take place. And so um, it's a really big deal that Jerusalem gets its wall built, and it kind of marks um, the end of the rebuilding of the land land that God promised to them while they were in exile. And so at this point in the book, Nehemiah has accomplished this. We've rebuilt the temple. We've rebuilt the city. We've rebuilt the wall. The, the building project is, at least for all intensive purposes, complete. And now it's time to restore the people. Now it's time to rebuild what really matters, if you will. So we've, we've rebuilt the temple, we've rebuilt the city, we've rebuilt the wall, all the physical stuff, all the brick and mortar, but now it's time to do the other part of God's promise to them, that he was gonna return them to the land and he's gonna restore them to better than they were before they were in exile or to be more prosperous and to be more faithful and to be more holy um, than their fathers, as the Bible um, would put it. And so that's where we are in Nehemiah. And I wanna walk through this story in Nehemiah 8 and 9 very, uh, pretty quickly. And then we're going to look back at it. Uh, the, the things that we observe, we're gonna take a, a second pass through, if you will. And we're gonna kind of apply it to us and see what this story um, says uh, to us and about us and, and how we can apply it uh, to our lives. And so and when we pick up the story in Nehemiah 8, like I said, all of the city has been rebuilt and now it's time to, uh, to revive the people. And if you're going to have a revival of God's people, then the first thing that you've got to do is to read God's word. And so they've, they've got a copy of the Torah or the first five books of the Bible, the, the law, and they gather together in the city. This is the verses that we just read. Um, they gather together in the city and they read, of, uh, read from it. And that's where we begin this story. So Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 1, it said, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. So they're unified as one people, ready to hear God's word. And they told Ezra, we've been introduced to Ezra before. Ezra's a scribe, priest. He's a leader, a religious leader in the community. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. 
And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who would understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, they, uh, he read from it facing the square before the water gate and from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So the first thing that they do, they know they wanna be restored. They know that they've gotta um, uh, kind of return back to who God established them to be. And, and so they're gonna say, hey, let's bring out the book of the law. It's kind of like going back and for the, for, the, for the Jews, it's kind of like going back and, and going back to your hometown maybe and visiting your family of origin and reading the documents of your history. It's trying to figure out who you are. If you've ever been on one of those searches, you know, like who am I type of searches. This is what they're doing. So who are we? And their identity is, 100% wrapped up into who their God is. And, and that, that story is written down for them in the book of the law, which is now for us, the first five books of um, the Bible. And so they bring this out and they have um, their religious leader, Ezra, um, come and read it to all of Israel. And actually, we, if you keep reading, um, they, they read this not just for one day, but for like days and days. In fact, what they do, they're, they're celebrating this festival called the Feast of Booths. And, and what that is, is actually they set up tents or tabernacles for themselves. They build little makeshift shelters and they're all together. Like I'm, in my head, I'm picturing like a field and they're, and they're all together um, in these tents, listening to the word of God preached. And then they also um, have, have little small groups that they divide up into. And the priests go throughout those small groups and start explaining the word of God um, to them. So it's kind of like, you know, right here, what we're doing on Sunday morning. Morning, and then you go into your, like your gospel community or your grow group and you talk about it even more. That's kind of what's going on, but just every day for, for, for a week at least. And, and so they're, they're doing this, they're studying God's word and there's this hunger for God's word. Notice the, the last verse that we read um, in verse three, chapter eight, it says that all the peoples, they were attentive to God's word. They, they, they wanted to hear and, and not just hear, so what that verse is saying is not just that they were paying attention like good students. It wasn't that they were here and, you know, I could, I could say a word and ask you to repeat it and they could repeat it. It wasn't just listening. It's that they wanted to really hear what God was saying to them. They wanted it to, to, to come in and to, to do some work, to transform them, uh, to, uh, to, to be their identity, if you will. God's word was doing something more than just filling their heads, but they wanted it to change their hearts. And so they, they read um, God's word. And the first thing that they do after reading God's word, spending all this time in, 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 in the Bible, in their, in their Torah, in the law, the first thing that they do after reading God's word is they confess their sin. So check out in verse, uh, chapter nine, starting in verse one. So we're skipping uh, a little bit. I just kind of told you chapter eight is all about them reading God's word. And, um, and then chapter nine starts like this. Now on the 24th day of this month, so that's a long time. It was the first day of the month. And now it's the 24th day of the month. The people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. This is a morning ritual. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. So you see kind of the shift that happens here. 
right? And so they are reading God's word over and over again. They're immersed in it. They've got this massive, like weeks long um, uh, Bible study basically. And then they are driven to confess their sin. In fact, in chapter eight, there's this part where they actually are driven to weeping. They're crying out loud because they realize that they have been an unfaithful generation. They've been an unfaithful people to a faithful God. They've read the Torah, they've read God's word, they've read their Bible, and they've realized, they see story after story after story of God's faithfulness to them and story after story of their unfaithfulness to God. And they look at their own lives and they realize that they are sinners. They realize that God has been faithful to them, but they have been unfaithful to this God. And so they read God's word and they confess sin, even to the point of weeping. And then the next thing that you see is kind of this, this another shift in this event that happens in, uh, in Judah, in Jerusalem. Check out chapter nine, verse five. Chapter nine, verse five. It says, then the Levites. Now these are um, priests. These are religious leaders. So the, 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 the religious leaders of the day stand up and then there's the list of them. But then they say, um, and then the religious leaders, they say, stand up to the people. This is what they say. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. And this is the first sentence of this blessing. Blessed be your, that's God, your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And so they've read God's word. They've done this, you know, three week, two week, whatever, however long Bible study intense. And they've been in groups and stuff. They have realized that they have been unfaithful to the faithful God. And they are even driven to, to weeping and to mourning and, and, and confessing their sin. And then there's this shift happens. The, the, the Israelite uh, priests, the religious leaders, they stand up among the people and say, stand up and we're going to bless the Lord together. We're going to praise him. Their weeping turns into worship. And the rest of chapter nine is actually a, a record of this blessing. It's the text that they said together as a people in worship to their God, Yahweh. And it actually ends with this very peculiar thing, this very, very special, very um, uh, important statement. This is how this worshipful blessing to God, where they have, they have recounted his faithfulness. They've said all the stories. They, they're talking about Moses, talking about um, Abraham. And they said, hey, in the period of the judges, hey, you've, you have delivered us over and over and over again, God, and we have been unfaithful. And then, it, and then the whole thing ends with this in chapter nine, verse 38. Because of all this, because of your faithfulness, because of all the things that we just said, because of this, we make a firm covenant with you or, or we're, we're, we are going under contract with you, God, in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And so what they do is, is they recount all of God's faithfulness to them and their unfaithfulness to God. And they decide they're going to renew their covenant with God. They're gonna renew their commitment to him and they put it in writing. They sign a contract. It's like they get legal with it and they, they put it in writing and they, and they have all the important people among them sign it so that they're they communicating to God and to themselves. This is really, really important. 
We're gonna take this really, really seriously. Like, I don't know if you've ever like signed a contract and stuff, like if you've ever bought a car or bought a house or something like that, and like you've had this person explain to you what this contract says, and, but you're not reading it and that makes you really nervous. If you're like me, that makes me really nervous. Because I, I see it's really, really, really important. I really don't wanna be a jerk and like waste this guy's time and be like, no, let me read this for the next hour. Like, but it's important, right? That's what they're, that's what they're saying. They're, they're making a new commitment to God. And this is this kind of revival moment. The text of chapter 10 is, is this commitment to God. It's, it's the text that they write. It's the contract that they write. You can go and read it. And they make all these promises to God. God, from now on, we will do this and we will not do this. We will do this more and we will do this less, God. We, we make all these promises to you. We will be the people that you created us to be, God. We promise. We're sorry for what happened before. We're turning over a new leaf. We're getting our life together. We're gonna pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we're going to be the people who you created us to be. But then Nehemiah kind of takes a turn, the book, Nehemiah. And it's narrated by the guy, Nehemiah. And he looks around uh, for the rest of the book, 11, 12, 13. And he, and he looks around uh, um, Israel. It looks around Jerusalem. And what he realizes is that all the things that they promise in this contract, all the things that they, they say that they're gonna do and not do in this covenant, they end up doing the opposite. All the things that they said they're gonna do, they promise God, hey, we're gonna do this for you, God, they end up not doing. All the things they say, well, hey, we're gonna stop doing this. We're gonna stop working on the Sabbath. We're gonna stop buying and selling on your holy day, God. Um, and then Nehemiah walks around and there's people on the Sabbath just doing business. They, they go the opposite direction of what they said they would do. And, and Nehemiah, this is actually a good, good leadership principle. This is a great book for, for pastors and for leaders in, 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 in God's community because Nehemiah kind of takes it upon himself to, to reform the people. Like he's like, no, 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 that's not gonna happen. We, we've been through this. We went over this. We're going to be who God created us to be. And, and so God, uh, Nehemiah starts going um, by his own power and trying to like reform all the people. In fact, he gets so into it. He starts beating people up and ripping people's hair out. Like, he's really serious. Aren't you glad Dusty's not like that, right? And, and, and so, like, he starts going, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. You're unfaithful. You're being sinners again. Like, why, why, what, what's going on? We, we promised God that we would be this. We've got to be this. And actually, the, at, by the end of the book, Nehemiah, actually, it's like he's writing a letter to God himself. And he ends up saying, like, God, look at the people. I just want you to know that I've tried, and I want you to remember me for trying. And that's the end of the book. So what happens? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, and, and here's the thing. You, you've probably heard these things before, that like reading God's word, confessing your sin, repentance. Like, those are good things, right? Like, actually, like that is the biblical formula for going from death to life, right? Like, that's the instruction right there. Like, if, you, if you've got the question, God, how do I go from death to life? God's like, all right, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna understand what I, who I am and what I've done for you. You're gonna realize that you're a sinner and that you are in need of a savior. And then you're going to repent, which literally means just to turn around. It means you're gonna realize that you are headed in this direction. That's the confession of sin. I'm headed in this direction. This is the way to destruction and death. And I, I, I have full sinned, been headed this way. And now I'm gonna go this way, towards God, towards life. And that is the biblical 
model. So they're doing all the right things, but it doesn't really work, does it? And, and here, once more, Nehemiah is the chronological end to the Old Testament. Like the history of God's people in the Hebrew Bible, that's the end right there. Is that they have this giant revival ceremony, this giant thing that goes on uh, in their midst where they, they recommit their lives to God and then it kind of dwindles and they kind of fade back into their own sin, into their own unfaithfulness and then roll credits. Like what? What is going on? Now, here's the deal. Like I said, these are the things that we really ought to do. These are the things that are good. If you were to ask um, anybody in the Bible, in fact, they do ask, like Acts 2, Peter uh, preaches this really awesome sermon and stuff, and a bunch of people realize that they are sinners and that they are in need of a Savior, and they ask, what do they do? What does he say? Repent. Like, th this is the biblical model for going from death to life, for experiencing re revival. And, and so let's, let's talk about these and maybe we can figure out what it is that's missing here in the story of Nehemiah that, that is not missing for us, perhaps. So, so here's, here's the thing. So God's word, it, it, is, it is essential. It is essential that, that, that we are immersed in God's word. As Dusty says, I think it's great. He says, there is just no path for growth for you as a follower of Jesus that doesn't include God's word, doesn't include um, Bible intake. And I, I, I love saying to being immersed in the Bible, like letting it transform you, being attentive to it as Nehemiah 8 would say. And so when we, when we read our Bible, when we read God's word, we hear it read, we hear it preached, what we are doing is we are um, listening and even putting ourselves in the story of who God is and what he has done in history. And that's essential. And then once we hear that story, once we know that story, once we, once we understand that God is, is, is our creator and he is perfect and he created us to be in right relationship with him, but we realize that we have broken that relationship. We realize that we are riddled with sin and death and darkness in here. And for, for, for many of you, I think I, I don't have to convince you that when you look inward, it's, it's not awesome. Like you're not perfect. If I do have to convince you that, that you are in need of a savior, then, then I would love to talk to you. Um, but I think generally for most people, we, we don't look at ourselves and think, I've got it down. And so we realize that we are, we are not perfect. We realize that, that God has been faithful and we are just unfaithful to who God has created us to be. And I don't know about you, I, I'm like the Israelites. When I first realized that, my first experience, when I saw um, uh, the story of Jesus on the cross, two things happened. Number one, I saw that it took a cross it took the creator of the world dying for my sin to save me from my sin. And that'll teach you some things about the weight of your sin. And I just wept. I don't know, maybe you've had an experience like that. It's not a requirement if you haven't, but like, I just wept. And, and then there's this moment where there's something that you've gotta do. There's some, some decision to be made.
And it's, it's the decision that the Israelites make, right? They realize that they're headed this way. They realize that they're going towards death and destruction. This is the way that they've been going through the whole Old Testament. Um, they've just been nothing but unfaithful while God has been faithful. And I think in their minds, if they were to use this illustration, God is way over there. God is over there and, and they're headed in this direction and they, they've, they've ended up way over here. They've ended up way far away from God. They are far from God and they're making the decision, we're going to repent, which literally means we're going to turn around. And I think what they think they need to do is they need to get all the way back to where God is. They, they realize that they're over here in the land of darkness and death. They're in exile from God, from the Father. And they think, okay, well, we're gonna renew our commitment. We're going to promise God that we are going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're gonna get our life together. We're gonna dust ourselves off and we're gonna start being holy again. We're gonna start going to church, God. We're gonna start reading our Bible every day. I'm gonna start praying more. I'm gonna start giving more. I'm gonna start serving more. I'm gonna do all of these things, God, so that eventually I can make it back to where you are. And if you have any experience with yourself as a human being, you realize that that's not going to work. Why? Because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. When I look inside myself and realize, you know, there's these moments, and I've been a follower of Jesus for eight or nine years now, and so there's these moments where I realize that I've kind of been in sin for a little bit. You know, like I haven't been faithful, and I haven't been, you know, experiencing God in the way that I should, or I haven't been following Him or doing the things that He wants me to do, or whatever it is. I've been in sin, and there's these moments daily, if you're like me, where you're like, no, 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 like I need to repent of that, I need to change. And, and sometimes my first instinct is to think that God's way over there looking at me going, can't believe you did that again. You know, like, like as a parent for me, like I, and maybe I should change this in light of this, but like as a parent for me, oftentimes I make my three-year-old come to me, right? And I'm communicating to him, like I'm in charge, not you. But like, it, but like I, I say like, hey, you need to come over here right now when he's in trouble. And sometimes I think of God that way where he's like, you need to come over here right now. We need to talk about what you've done. And, and I've got to figure out my way. I've got to clean myself up. I've got to figure, I've got to make up for it almost. Like I've got to make, do all these holy things to make sure that I can creep my way back over to where God is. And, and I think if that's your mindset, if that's your heart posture, then what's going to happen is that every time you take a few steps here, you're going to take several more steps back. I, I don't think I have to convince most of you of that. And so you just never, ever find yourself never, ever getting to that place where God is. But here's the deal. That picture is not actually the message of the Bible. Like I mentioned, Nehemiah is the chronological end of the Old Testament. And I think the whole point of Nehemiah is setting up what's about to happen where the people of Israel have gone this direction. They're over here in, in death and darkness and in unfaithfulness and sin, and they're trying their best to get over back to where God is, and they can't do it. By the end of Nehemiah, they're back over here, roll credits, pick it back up, enter Jesus Christ. The, the, the story of the Bible, like for, for you, maybe you grew up kind of like me where I, I, I pictured this book as an instruction manual on how to get back to God. 
Like how, how it is that I make myself over and take this path so I can get where God is. But that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is the exact opposite. The story of the Bible is the story of how God got to us. The story of the Bible is God became man in Jesus Christ, in first century Jewish man, Jesus of Nazareth. So, so here, here's the deal. I was over here, you were over here. And we were, we were trying to figure out if we have been confronted with our sin, we've been confronted with the fact that we are unholy, unfaithful, and we're trying to figure out how it is that we get back over to here where God is. And what we realize, as soon as we realize that we are a sinner, as soon as we confess our sin and we repent, we literally turn around. What we realize is God's not over there. God's right here. He closed the gap for us. And the promise of the Bible is not that we have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and that we have to get it together and clean up our lives and make ourselves more like Jesus. That's not the promise of the Bible. The promise of the Bible is that Jesus invites us actually to take his yoke upon us. He takes us and he carries us the rest of the way. That Jesus, through his spirit and us leaning into what he's doing, that daily rhythm of, of reading God's word, repenting or confessing our sin and repenting, that there's something is happening in us when we follow Jesus and we trust in him, that Jesus promises to make us more like him over a lifetime of following him. And so the question is, how do we get back to God or how do we go from death to life or how do we experience revival? How do we spark a revival? It's not that the Israelites did everything wrong, but the real answer is, you can't on your own. And that's really, really good news. The answer is, when you, when you hear God's story and you realize that the, the perfect creator God who had incredible intentions for you, invited you in or created you for right relationship to him, but, but you and I, we decided to go in the other direction. We decided to, to uh, uh, redefine right and wrong and to be our own gods. And we said, we're gonna run our life, God. And we, we started walking in this direction and the result of which is just death and destruction and darkness. Just look around our world. In the story of the Bible is God in history, real life history, God coming and closing that gap, revealing himself to us first and foremost in Jesus Christ and then in his word and he coming and he lived among us. We could walk with him, we could touch him and he lived the life that we couldn't live. He was perfectly faithful even when we were unfaithful, yet he died the penalty that we deserve for our unfaithfulness. He experienced his own exile, he experienced his own darkness from the Father so that we could experience the return to the Father. And then he rose from the dead, the first revival, if you will. And he rose from the dead and now is sealing for us that when we look forward to the day that Jesus comes back, um, completing his kingdom reign here on earth, completing all the things that he is doing um, among us and that we, we believe we will rise also with him and we will be revived with him and we will live for eternity with God the way we were created to be. That's the story of the Bible. When, when you realize that and you, and you confess your sin, you realize your need for a savior and, and you just turn around. It's not that you have to pick up your life and, and pick up the pieces and clean it up. That's not what it is. It's that you just simply turn around and, and see Jesus there. And you say, whatever it is that you want me to do, whatever it is that, that you'll have for me, Jesus, I'm on board with it. Just lead the way. 
carry me, Jesus. And, and Jesus promises to mold you and to shape you into the image of the son, as Romans eight would say, into who he is, into who you were created to be. That's the promise of the Bible. It, for me, I, I mentioned I've been following Jesus for like eight or so years now. This is a, I see this, this is a daily occurrence. It's not that I get you know, born again, 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 again. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I can see this transformation happening in my life as Jesus has picked me up and he is carrying me back to who I was created to be. I can, I can see that in the regular rhythms of being in God's word, of, of confessing my sin and repentance like, and believing in Jesus. Like that's, that, that's the regular lifestyle. And, and I've, seen it, I've seen it happen. Many of you have been following Jesus for much longer than I have. You've seen this happen. I hope that you are more like Jesus than you were when you started following him. And, but sometimes we are tempted to think we need to get ourselves together. We need to pick up our own pieces. We need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We need to revive ourselves. And I'm just here to say, stop. Trust in Jesus again. Lean into what he's doing, but trust in him to do it. And, and for some of you in here, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus at all. You'd consider yourself not a Christian. And uh, in fact, one of the reasons why you would consider yourself not a Christian, uh, this is a very common one, is because you feel like you need to pick up your own life. You need to, to pick up the pieces. You need to get it all together, clean yourself up before you can come to Jesus. Let me tell you, that's not what the Bible says. I'm sorry for whoever told you that that's what Christianity is about, but that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about you not being able to pick up your own pieces. You cannot do it and God doesn't ask you to. God took it upon himself to make you like Jesus, who you were created to be. So if, if that's something that you need to do for the first time, you've heard God's word. If you need to confess your sin and you need to repent, we would love to talk to you about that. In the meantime, let's pray. Father, Father, we pray for revival. Not just in our world, not just in our church, but in us. I pray that you would take us from death to life. And for those of us who you've been doing that for a lifetime, God, I pray that you would continue to do that. That you would continue to, to, to save us over and over and over again recreate us over and over and over again, continue to form us into the image of Jesus. But Father, for those in this room who, maybe this is the first time hearing about this or maybe it's the first time really hearing this, I pray that you would do that work in them, that you would transform their hearts, that they would be driven to confess their sin, but realize that you have not left them alone in the darkness that you have come to them and you have promised to take them to where you are, to where light is. God, I pray that you would bless us as we celebrate that fact in taking your supper, God, and as we worship. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.